And welcome back to Post Game Content. I'm Nax. I'm here with my co-host, Nichol. How you doing today, Nichol? Well, I was good until this very moment that we're currently in right now, where I <laughs> now have to nay, nime, nud. I hate this. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for you just to end the episode now. I hate this. <laughs> Would it surprise you to learn that I have that effect on a lot of people? <laughs> Of being the worst part of their day. No, it would, because I've had some shit days recently. <laughs> I've had a good day today, for the most part, and then I get here, and I don't know. I don't know. I'll just start That's, blaming you for all my problems, and then we'll see, see what improves. This actually transitions into my first question of the episode, which is, what was your bright spot this week? <laughs> what was something good that happened? Oh, God. Why do we got to be positive here? Why can't we just focus on the negatives? <laughs> Especially with the topic of today's episode. <laughs> a bright spot this week. Um, let's see. I uh, I got a free MacBook Pro. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's a pretty <laughs> That's good. That's not a bad spot. one. <laughs> that is a... What's funny about that is before we hit record, you told me about two incredible things that happened to you. One, you found a pristine copy of Metroid. And two... You got a free MacBook Pro. The the price per dollar ratio to happiness, as, as much as I love Metroid, I had to pay money for that. So, got it. Albeit a very small amount. Max is not... Uh, I did find... Uh, I'll, give a, I'll give a shout out here. There's a little place in the middle of Buchanan, West Virginia that I just heard about the other day. It's called Preplayed Media. And they have a ton of complete in-box games. They had a sealed copy of Final Fantasy IX. For PlayStation Ooh. 1 there, and Final Fantasy Tactics sealed for PlayStation 1. Like, just some random good game. Anyway, pre-played media, Buchanan, West Virginia. If you're from there or near there, it's worth the drive to check out. It's nice. Anyway, uh, I am collecting Metroid games complete in box, sealed in box. Obviously, the old ones, I mean, upwards of 30 grand for OG Metroid. And I did find a complete in box, really good shape uh, there for... Um, like 150 bucks, which is like, not, yeah, for a collector's item. No, that's a really good price. That w- that yeah. condition on eBay would go for like four or five hundred. So, really happy with the find. So, but free MacBook. Awesome. More importantly, yeah. <laughs> seriously. <laughs> <laughs> now oh, that man. that's mine. Enough about that. What's your bright spot, Max? Other than the fact that you locked yourself out of your house. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> My bright spot today, uh, Michael, is that I managed to get back into my house after That's... locking myself out. <laughs> Good for you, man. You know, honestly, you look for the, you look for the positives and the little That's things. pretty much it. <laughs> it. My only concern is that my neighbor was out on his front patio as I was like, he just staring at my ass as I crawl in through the front window. Um, compliment. So at any moment, it. yeah, <laughs> at any moment, this, this podcast may be interrupted by the cops. So I have a piece of mail next to me <laughs> with my address on it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's happened to you before, though, and that, that didn't go so well. It was a two-year battle, remember? You told yeah, me Yeah, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, for the, so, for the record, I hate this question. Thank you, because I don't like to think about things in a positive light. Well, Michael, <laughs> we have, we have a, one of the most positive gaming experiences of recent memory to talk about today. That Something that you and I have talked about for a very long time and been leading up to, and up until tonight really haven't discussed in depth actually that is true i didn't think about that 
We mm. have been... It's, it was kind of funny because uh, obviously you could probably tell by the name of the episode what we're going to be talking about. Um, but we, when the game came out, um, I think I had more of an opportunity just based off my schedule to jump and play a little bit more into it than you did initially. Mm. Um, so I'd gotten pretty far through the game. And then it was funny because I, I, don't, and I don't know if you were doing this as well. I was watching what achievements you were unlocking. <laughs> and then whenever you, whatever ones weren't like, were still a question mark for me, I was like, yeah. what am I missing? Cause I know I'm further yeah. along. Cause he doesn't have this. Like, what am I, I need to go back into X, Y, Z thing. Uh, so I was like tracking your progress because every time I would even message you about anything about the game, like you just, you hard blocked me. You're oh, like, I, I don't want to know. I don't want to talk about it. Just we're going to, I shut that shit down <laughs> at least for the first playthrough. And it's funny because this is the first like FromSoft game that's come out, obviously, since we've been friends. So like that first experience, this is the first time where I know there's somebody out there who's exactly as invested as I am (laughs) and trying to play blind while also wanting to talk about all the cool shit in this game was a really hard like balance for me. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's trust me. I mean, I'm in the same boat as you. Um so for anyone that doesn't know up to this point, we're talking about Elden Ring right hey. now. And let me tell you, this was I, this was unique because when I whenever we say that our friendship was literally founded around like souls discussions and like nerd talk, this wasn't like a Max and I didn't talk about Elden Ring for two weeks. Max and I basically didn't talk didn't for talk. almost two weeks. <laughs> like that's not an exaggeration. There was a that's there was so sprinkled true. in like podcast discussion, but like Outside of that, it was like radio silence between the two of us. Yeah. And like there would so, be random things I would literally type out and then I would just get a nope, not yet. Nope. <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> I was yeah. I I I put the kibosh in a lot of that. Um so I'm excited to finally be able to like sort through a lot of, you know, initial impressions and now that you've had a chance to complete the game multiple fucking times because you're a monster, like you know, how those thoughts have evolved. I am so ready to talk about this game. <laughs> I think this is... Uh, so, obviously, we're talking about Elden Ring. One thing I want to say is we're releasing this episode as episode two of our show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in the future, future episodes that are coming were recorded pre-Elden uh, pre Ring release. So before this one was recorded. In a lot of those post, or I should say pre-show banters, before we get into whatever game we were discussing that evening, um, we talk about our hype for Elden Ring. So I actually like this because it'll be fun for people to hear what we think about the game and then hear about how amped we were for it to come out. It'll be kind of like yeah. a, a neat neat little uh, homage to what's what was coming. It's like some Doc Brown shit. So. Basically... Yeah, the, the moral of the story is even after you're finished with this episode, you're still not done hearing us talk about Elden Ring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Get used to it. We're gonna talk probably Get gonna talk about it in every episode coming up too. Used to it. <laughs> so for this episode, Michael, I think it's probably best that we 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 sort of divvy out the conversation uh like this. I wanna talk a little bit about um, the setting of Elden Ring, um, a little bit about the lore and and maybe your first impressions coming into it. 
I want to talk about it as and as it fits into the history of open world games and then how it fits into the history of FromSoft games. Okay. Yeah, I think that's a good place to start. Um, yeah. I mean, are we just going to jump into it now? You want to just dive in? I think in? we jump into it. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so, um, it first of all, it's going to be hard to look at this game and from a perspective of like just a regular open world game because I feel like as as um, a member of like the Souls quote unquote community um, for a very very long time, um, I had some preconceived notions about the vagueness of the story. While a lot of those people out there who haven't played a Souls game are walking into this with this this opening monologue. And then they Mm -hmm. walk into this open world and get insulted uh, literally as they walk out into the fresh air. Um, And I'll tell you this, walking out and touching that grass was the only grass that I touched real or not real for weeks after this game launched. But (laughs) I I digress. Um, So just just bear that in mind as I'm trying to like scrounge for words. Um. But what does benefit me here is that a fact that I'm still playing through Horizon because that game, as large as Elden Ring is, might be bigger. Like that game is just the second one is just huge. So I have a good baseline of what to like compare this to other open world show me everything all the time markers and objectives kind of deal. So um, right off the bat, um, walking out into this to the world uh, post tutorial um i didn't i didn't feel overwhelmed the 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 map itself um obviously is kind of shaded to you at the beginning of the game and i like how they did that because it gives the idea it says okay don't don't rely on anything go explore and, right and so as i start to walk around i get this idea of like looking around, seeing, okay, there's a lot of places I can go, but at the same time, the world itself is so contained around you. The trees create natural paths and the mountains tell you where you can and can't go and the structures that are kind of falling in on themselves um, and just the valleys and the rolling hills kind of create a um, just a natural way of leading the character through certain areas, all that have their own little secrets or items to pick up and things like that just right off the bat. Um Right, like right out the the gate, giant dude with a on a horse that beat a lot of people's asses many, many, many times, and that's not just trust me, that wasn't just for your new Souls players. That was Souls vets too. Trust me, everyone oh, had problems with the tree sentinel. Probably everybody. S- go ahead. The first thing that everybody did <laughs> is take a run at that motherfucker, get put in the dirt, and from there, there's like a like a two path progression, right? You either learn to move past him or you beat your head against a wall for an hour, just trying to get him down when you were still like level one or whatever. I, I'm not proud to say that I was the, I was the latter in that one. And I still didn't get big him. same, like big I, same. I, I, I ignorantly was like, I'm a souls. I don't want to say veteran. Cause I hate when people say I'm a souls vet. I'm a souls player. This is supposed to be hard. I will mm-hmm. get this. He's right here at the beginning. I should be able to beat this guy. And right there, they do a, they do the first job of saying, this is an open world that you walked into. This area is not a tutorial area. This right. is a another part of this lush open world, and you just happen to be a part of this of it right now. 
So I I think they did a good job of framing that like right off the bat. Um, I love the characters that they immediately introduce you to. I don't know the guy's name. I'm going to be honest. There's probably like outside of like bosses, probably like three NPCs names that I can remember. That's about where I'm at. I remember White Mask because he has a white mask. Is that his name? The guy that calls you maidenless right when you walk out? It's White Mask something or other, but his title is White Mask. Gotcha. I didn't spend enough time. Who says, how come you ain't got no bitches? Yeah, he literally calls you maidenless and pretty much tells you you should probably just go jump off a cliff and die. Like literally right off the bat. He calls you a sad virgin, which, you know, probably not the first time that you've heard that. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely isn't for me. So. Nope, same. Uh, <laughs> um, it's funny because there's kind of like, as, as a new player to this game, whether you are a Souls player or not, the monologue at the beginning tells you that you are one of like the chosen and you are there to try to claim the title of Elden Lord. So there's some importance to your character and why yeah. he's there in, um, fuck, whatever, Limgrave at the start. Let me grab the start. Yeah. Um, to, to set the stage a little bit, um, Elden Ring takes place in a world called uh, the Lands Between that's divvied up into regions. And I guess those are kind of analogous to to the, the different levels that we used to see in earlier uh, Souls titles. Um, you know, they kind of mark your progression as you're going through the world and... As you play, more of, or of this continent sort of opens up to you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you start in Limgrave, which in and of itself is a fairly large map, you know, and it's a, <laughs> it's a good introduction to this new sort of open world structure without completely overwhelming you from the start. Yeah, and that's, I mean, not to get, I, I want to go back to trying to frame this from a, a perspective of just an open world player. Uh, one of the things that you'll immediately start to notice is that the game doesn't, at least at the beginning, it doesn't say, hey, you know, you can't go there until you do X, Y, Z. Some things in the game you can't do until you do that, but the game always has other paths, albeit difficult, that you can take to progress to other parts of the world without having to complete said mission or said boss or some world event. Absolutely. So yeah. the game, it will punish you. And if you're, <laughs> like you said before, if you beat your head up against the wall hard enough, you'll eventually power through. But, I mean, you can run from, I mean, shit, from Limgrave, you get Torrent in the first 30 seconds if you know what you're doing, and you could sprint all the way to Redmain Castle, you know, all the way down in Khalid if you really wanted to, just right across yeah. the map. So it's really up in... Up in um, the hardest place you'd have probably with getting into uh, Larunia or whatever it's it's called the where the Royal Academy is. So oh yeah, um, <clears throat> so that right off the bat, that's one of the things it does. It is a true open world. Um, just comparing it immediately to Horizon. Once you get into Horizon, you're stuck in the beginning opening area, and before you can proceed into quote unquote the Forbidden West, there's a whole eight hours of gameplay before you can even go past the gate. So in missions, you have to complete. There's no secret or hidden way to get around it to, you know, progress to the world. And front, or, um, Elden Ring does a good job of making the player feel like you are truly in an open world and you are truly able to explore that freely and learn things your own way. Sure. And I think part of the reason why that might be a difference between something like Horizon in this game is that Horizon has 
preset characters and a narrative that it wants to tell. So it has to kind of control your progression, at least at the start, because, you know, <coughs> this is a story about a character, not about you, the player. Mm. Um, and Elden Ring takes a very different approach where it's much more freeform. You're dropped into this world and how you progress and the way that you interact with it is entirely up to you. Um, you know, there isn't a preset script about what your character wants to do. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, I, I say that and there's, you know, there's, there's positive and negatives to that. And I think we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more, but yeah, I, I think there's a lot of really good lessons that this game teaches new players right at the start. And the, the tree sentinel is such a good example of like, you know, you're going to have to pick and choose what you do and do not fuck with effectively. Yeah, um, I mean, and I, I personally, I did the same thing you did where I beat my head against a wall for, you know, the better part of an hour before realizing like this ain't going to happen. Um, and then every time that I would upgrade my weapon or level up, you know, I'd, I'd go back to that church that's right in front of him and take another run at him. Mm. And then, after a couple of attempts, I'd get put in the dirt and go, okay, it's not going to be this time, but I'm getting closer. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, I think that the game does a really good job of creating a, um, I don't want to say just like a world, but like a, like, and I don't even mean map, but just a natural flow that allows you to, in a, in a sense of uh, importance and I, something like, I don't want to miss things. It's not even like the completionist in me, but like when I left the tree sentinel, it felt like whatever's here, this is important. And I, I need and want to come back to it to finish this. So like you, I would go on and do other things. And, but in the back of my mind, it was, Oh, there's this, Oh, there's this. And the game, something that no other, you know, I, sh I need to I'll refrain from comparing it to other from soft games. One of the things I liked about this was that the, the marker system that it allowed, even when the map wasn't available, to you at the point let you still put something down that said hey i want to come back here i'm going to mm -hmm. remember this and i like that that had it because a lot of those other ones it uh specifically horizon and a couple others that i can think of off the top of my head if you have don't have the map fog of war cleared or something of the nature map unlocked you can't use that portion of the map and what i like about this is that your player has an idea of the world that he's in there's just not a specific area because if you th take into account that your your player by the nature of the story is guided by the sights of grace then mm -hmm. he would have an uh the ability to be able to say okay next to this site of grace is where this would be so i like that they kind of integrated that in the way that even though the map what for that area wasn't unlocked you could utilize like a sense of direction to be able to point your character back to the things that he found was important or they found were, were important to them yeah yeah, that's a great point. And I think the other thing that that does, the ability to <laughs> leave markers on the map, you know, and you have some sort of, you know, icons that you can drop down and you basically have to create your own system for like, you know, if I leave an image that looks like a skull here, I'm going to say that's bosses from now on. Whenever I put that down, that's where a boss is. Um, it eliminates what I think is a lot of handholding that a lot of open world games do um, with things like a quest log. Mm. Where, yeah, you know, I, I, I'm so guilty of this whenever I play games like The Witcher or, or uh, Elder Scrolls or any of that. Um, you don't have to pay attention to much. But 
you know, in terms of dialogue or context, you can skip through a lot of what characters are saying to you because all your important details are recorded for you in a little journal and you have a map marker that tells you where to go next. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of become a staple of the genre. Elden Ring does away with it entirely and it's so much better for it. Um, none of your interactions with NPCs are tracked, so it's up to you to remember, you know, okay, this guy was super memorable. I want to keep track of where he's going. Um, This was an interesting boss. I can't beat him right now, but I'm going to put something down so I can try to take a run at it later. This area is too hard. Things like that that feel much more natural because you're creating your own kind of quest rather than running through, or rather than it feeling like (laughs) running through a preset script that somebody has laid down for you. Yeah, I I think that's a, that's a fantastic point. Um, It, given like you said you're not playing a the role of a character that was you know part of this grander story you are the character that's part of this grander story and you are just living in this in this world so the fact you're you're creating someone and placing them there you're not playing a a predefined character allows you and makes ultimately you feel so much more connected because like you said you get to craft how important xyz character is to you and that's why they have these like really creative npc storylines you can go the whole you could play this game a thousand times and not even talk to a certain npc and now you don't even know yeah someone and i know that there's npcs i still haven't talked to and i've played through this game four times already and (laughs) this the idea that excuse me the idea that um there was a point that you had made that i was i really had something i wanted to say on um Hopefully it comes to me so I don't sound stupid. Was it more about how I locked myself out of my house? <laughs> no, I, I figured I'd give that one another like 15 minutes and then interrupt you really loudly while you were t- talking to to bring it back up one more time. And I'm really looking forward <laughs> to that. <laughs> um, no, I, I'll we'll move on and I'll come back to it if I can think of it. But I, I like the idea of that that it drives. Oh, oh, uh, what I was going to say. Okay, I found it. Um, so the point about you, I. I like the waypoint system that it does have. And I mm-hmm. think that's a good a good thing to to bring up cuz like you said you can drop the markers on the map to come back to. The the game has and I loved how they did this cuz I thought this was so creative and kept you focused in the world. The game does have a waypoint system, but the typical waypoint system has like this compass at the top of your screen that's like hey go this direction. And yeah. really think about this, listener. How many times whenever you're playing those games, do you spend 75% of your journey watching the little golden arrow and making sure that you're on that straight line? You're barely paying attention to what you're running towards. Absolutely true. Yeah. And in this game, what it does is you will go on your map and you go, okay, I want to go here. This looks interesting. I want to go to this spot. You drop a waypoint, and instead of it giving you a golden emblem to follow, way off in the sky behind all the trees and the mountains, you'll just see a blue light that just is it's coming down at that area. So mm-hmm. instead of allowing you to focus and if it's behind a tree, the marker will be gone. If it's behind a mountain, the marker will be behind the mountain and you have to kind of get to it naturally. But th- what I like about this is that you have to like stop, look up over the tree line, look up over the mountains, look up or down over the hills and focus on the area that you're in as opposed to something that's outside the context of the game itself 
to tell you where to go. You have to use the environments to find the path that you're going. You have to use and look around the mountains, around the trees to try to figure out how you're going to get there. So it just takes that extra level of immersion, putting you deeper into the game that other open world games just don't do. And your quest lines, the only thing I wanted to add to that was in the most recent update, they did add the ability to track NPCs where they're at, Mm -hmm. but it's by your last interaction with them. So if you, if they've moved and you have not found them, that's where they've last been. And that's what your map will say, but they're not going to be there. So that way, if you haven't finished a quest or something like that, and you wanted to go back, I like that they did that because it's kind of like a mental note. Hey, I, I'm like 7525 on it because I'm, I'm, I don't want to be a purist or anything, but like <clears throat> I like the idea of like natural remembering or marking it yourself. But um, the game does afford a little bit of uh, of mistakes and forgetting and things like that in that aspect, specifically and only with NPCs. Right. Um, Which I think is fair. And it, it, you know, it's, it's, I think, entirely forgivable that a lot of these. NPCs are front-loaded, you know, especially when you visit uh, the Table of Lost Grace for the first time, that that hub area mm-hmm. where you'll meet a lot of NPCs right up front, very early on in your journey. Um, and you may kind of forget about them, or you may ha- hear another character out in the world mention their name, and you don't remember who the fuck that guy is, or if you've met them. Like um, me in real life, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly oh what I do. <laughs> Dude... I, don't, I didn't notice this until you said it, but I do the same thing in Elden Ring that I do when I'm meeting people at, like, parties and things, where my brain just, like, censors out when they say their name, where they're like, hey, man, I'm... Nice to meet you. And then I'm just, I'm boned for the rest of my life. I just have to be like, hey, bud. Hey, so, bud. That's why you say that to me all the time. Ow, I yeah. get it. What's up, bud? I called, I called you Nickel at the beginning of this. <laughs> Thanks, I hate it. <laughs> um, one of the other things, and this kind of goes in with the like the interactivity with the world, um, and this is something I think you and I talked about whenever we were kind of looking into like the aspects of the game in relation to the open world. Um, me as a person, I get what you call item anxiety in games and i go i will need this at one point and i will never use this because i will never actually need it is exactly what i know what you mean yeah and elden ring does this thing to where the crafting in this game can be entirely optional and god bless you from software for doing that seriously when you're in horizon and i apologize for drawing this um these two and comparing them so much because that's just the most other recent one that I've played and it suffers from every cliche uh, open world issue out there um, other than narrative. Great story. Um, the idea that you have to craft or go out and hunt animals or pick berries or fucking any grab a rock to be able to be able to make your character better is frustrating. Right. And what Elden Ring does is it gives you the items that you find in the natural world um, really outside of uh, wanting to engage in some heavy PvP or helping your your friends out um, mm-hmm. allow you to do that without having to farm. 
Um, and if you don't want to farm, there are ways to do that without actually going out in the open world and farming those materials. Um, other games don't really have that. If there's a crafting system in the game outside of Breath of the Wild, it pretty much forces you to utilize it uh, in some fashion or at least strongly rewards you for utilizing it. And I really don't I even feel like if you are utilizing the crafting system in Elden Ring heavily that you're going to be in a in a great spot. I mean, outside of like maybe some uh, poison or scarlet rot uh, debuffs or I, I should say right. cures, um, I really didn't use it that much. <laughs> no, same. Um, I mean, I used it a little bit of it for um, like weapon buffs. So you can, you know, form... Uh, you know, certain oils and things you can rub on your weapons to, to increase, like, you know, blood or bleed damage or things like that. Um, but you're right. The nice thing about the crafting material or the crafting system in this game is that it's entirely supplemental. You know, mm-hmm. you're not relying on it for things like primary ammo or you can never, like, forge different weapons from it. Um, it's there... In what I think is a, a kind of naturalistic sort of approach, like it's just things in the environment that'll help you out a little bit, um, maybe give you an edge, but never necessary items, um, which is something that I was really worried about in this game going into it, because that's that's I find that kind of thing so tedious, and maybe this is part of why I, I bounced off Horizon, is that you're forced to do a lot of crafting. Yeah. And the and like the gathering <laughs> in that game is not quick. There's a there's a, like an animation every time that Alloy dips down to like grab shit off the ground. And it's not a huge thing, but seeing it over and over again when you just want to make a couple more arrows can get grating. Yeah. I and I I agree. And I will say and I I'll say this and we can move on from that point cuz I don't want to spend too much time talking about Horizon. I'm sure people are sure of it already. Um <laughs> I had the same complaint with Forbidden West, and I actually bounced off of it a little bit with Elden Ring because obviously Elden Ring is Elden Ring. Um, right. But when I came back to it, they had just released a patch that eliminated the animations for item pickups and oh, thank God. and lowered the cooldown for crafting. So things are almost instantaneous now. And also, Aloy shuts the fuck up a, a lot more. So, um. But yeah, I mean, I, even like when it came to the items for Torrent, uh, the steed, the spectral steed you get in uh, Elden Ring, I didn't even find myself, I, I didn't even know in the first two playthroughs that there was even an item you could get to heal your freaking steed. Yeah. I was like, I never I, used. I did, yeah. I mean, the the horse dies. I, I don't know if you've seen the meme and it's so true for all you, if anyone out there hasn't played it. There's like, if you take on a scale from one to a hundred, zero being torrent standing on the ground and a hundred being how far it can fall before it, it reaches death. There's mm. an area at about 96 feet to where torrent can jump down and be fine. And between those 96, 97 and 98, torrent will take damage. And then 99 to a hundred and anything below a hundred torrent will die and right. you'll die too. For some reason you'll die too. I don't understand that, but uh, you know, fuck me. I don't know. I, I probably a, died more to fall damage and death than anything else. Trying to suss out, that was like impossible for me. In the same way that I think I'm really bad at like, you know, if you're at a party and you have to guess how many people are like in the room, I can't do that shit. Same thing with like looking over a cliff in Elden Ring. 
Like, I have no idea how to assess whether or not a drop is going to kill me. Well, yeah, and that's the problem is, like, it, I almost feel like they didn't apply the same uh, fall damage in different mm-hmm. areas. Because I swear to God, there were areas that I would jump down and I would just be fine running. And there were others that were, like, 30 feet less height. And I would jump down and I would die instantly. And I was like, what the hell is going on? But I digress. I mean... The, the world was just so incredibly designed from a, um, from like an open world standpoint, you know, if you, cause if you combine the whole, the crafting situation, if you combine the, the, the navigation as far as like the map goes and even the navigation outside the map, just exploring, just, it was so rewarding. It was, there is no emptiness to this world. Like mm. so many games just feel like I'm lost in the woods, which don't get me wrong, can be a really cool feeling. Even when there's like nothing, especially in like the the Mistwood area uh, near the beginning, uh, it's like east of Limgrave, where like the giant bears are. Oh yeah, like yep. even oh, whenever yeah. there's like one ruins in those woods, and that that's where you can start like the wolf quest line thing, the howling wolf. Um, there is like the mystique of just like roaming around the woods, not knowing what's next. I feel like there was a lot of bosses in this game, a lot of really shitty, easy bosses, but there's also a lot of like well-crafted areas that lended credence to why a boss would be there or why, you know, they found their home in these woods or why these ruins were like part of this, this area. And just exploring in this game was rewarding in a way that I've never seen in any open world game. And it's not just because it was a souls game. It was because it was just, intriguing like yeah you want to look over that hill it was like i don't know how many times that i was like i'm gonna jump off for the night but first i'm gonna go over to that mountain and then i get over the mountain i'm like well i'll just go down the hill here real quick or i'll find the next site of grace and it was just it was so rewarding i that's one of the things that i really loved about this game is that i think a lot of um open world games are so worried that their player base is going to miss something that they've developed. And fair enough, right? Because they spend a lot of time building all these cool assets and stuff. And if nobody finds it, then that's kind of a waste. Um, And so a lot of times you'll feel like the game is sort of signposting you towards some of its most cool content or moments. Old Codger ahead. Yeah. (laughs) And Elden Ring is so... Elden Ring is so comfortable with hiding almost everything from you um Mm. and that's what i think creates this sense of real surprise and interest there are whole there are whole ass like weapons bosses entire areas that you can go through the entire game and feasibly never find um you know i in that same uh like woods area um where you first find the elevator down to the underground section of, I think it's Sophia River. Yeah. Sophia River? Sophia, Sophia Coppola yeah. River. Um, <laughs> you know, and it's this big elevator, and you think it's going to go down to, at least I thought it was going to go down to, like, another mausoleum or something like that. At least to hell with up. as long as it took to fucking get to the bottom of it. Jesus Christ. <laughs> and I jumped off halfway through, so I had to reset the elevator because I'm an impatient asshole. But... <laughs> dead (laughs) yeah but it opens up into this huge cavernous area with this like crazy galaxy kind of effect running through it um 
that's just compl- you know it's such a surprise it 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 feels like there's a whole world that you didn't know was there sitting underneath this already incredibly expansive environment you know there are so many moments where i was playing this game that i thought like how how did they do this you know i mean that's always been like the staple of from software was to i mean the jaw-dropping like almost lenticular level Mm. design like how it just stands out in comparison to literally itself like is so neat and like just the skylines and the purple clouds like how how is this world existing on the top this world's so massive and there's a whole other world underneath of it like what the yeah. hell um and then uh, there's just there is no end to this world either and that's what I really like about the way that this world was structured in the way uh, compared to other open world games was that they don't give you, even though you don't have a map, you you open the map before you find the official map and it has like this small area. And I mean, it's not small, don't be wrong. It, it's absolutely huge. And it's like yeah. you open it up and it's like the square and you're like, holy crap, like there's a lot of stuff to explore here. And then you find the map and then you move further west or further east or further north um, or even further south and it gets a little bit bigger and you're like holy shit this is massive and then you realize Mm. that each one of those squares is like as it slowly unfolds is like one twelfth or one twentieth of the entirety of the map in this game and it just it builds on itself so incredibly and it, it allows you to take and this is a phrase that you hear us say a lot in this game. It allows you to meet the game where it is and focus on the area that you're in and and not look at the scope of the game and go, wow, this game is absolutely breathtaking and how big it is. It allows you to look at what's in front of you and say, wow, look how amazing this area is. Let me explore it. Let me really get into it. Let me dive in. And then you progress to a new area and you go, oh my gosh, like there's just more I can do. So it Mm. lets the player gradually be impressed and gradually find these awesome, literally awesome moments and worlds and areas to be enthralled in and doesn't spoil itself as it goes. Even though you have a natural and completely free will and movement to do so. And it's just such an incredible balance that it strikes. Yeah, I I think a lot of what we talked about at the different systems that go into this game is something that's almost kind... Well, I won't say it's unusual for FromSoft, but um, a lot of what's there is meant to empower the player. It allows people playing this game to sort of enact their own will on this world. And what I think is really cool is that there's some narrative cohesion there, and that really ties in with what the story of this game is. Um, you're brought into this world that's sort of like most FromSoft games, kind of at the end of its rope. Um, the order that has kept everything moving, like it literally keeps the stars going, has fallen apart, and somebody needs to step up and become the new lord um, and dictate the new order of the world. Um, and this is kind of a departure from a lot of Souls games up until this point where 
a lot of the main plot of the story is is over by the time your character hits the scene, right? In Dark Souls 1, uh, Gwyn is ostensibly the main character because he's the one that makes everything happen. Um, and you're just kind of on the cleanup crew. Most of the big events of the world are done by other people. In Elden Ring, that's not the case. In Elden Ring, your character, by virtue of their own actions, creates massive, massive changes um, to the world and its environment. Um, and one of the, the, you know, the most obvious sort of examples of this is um, the Erd Tree, which mm-hmm. is this massive sort of central spectral tree um, that's kind of a guidepost throughout the entire world. No matter where you are, you can use it to sort of orient yourself. Um, and you you can burn it halfway through, creating this like um, huge kind of visual example of the effect your character has had on the world. <laughs> you've, mm-hmm. you've basically taken a major part of this mythology um, you know, this, this sort of central symbol of, of the religion, uh, of, of the lands between and set that shit on fire. Like th- that's a crazy amount of power that they've given to the player character in this game, as opposed to the Dark Souls trilogy. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a good, that's a good way to think. I didn't think about it like that. Cause like. Whenever in any Souls game, when you walk in, like, like say to any boss, uh, bringing mm-hmm. it back to like an individual one-on-one basis, to any boss, it's almost like they are taking a breath and they turn around and they're like, "Oh God, another one I got to deal with." <laughs> yeah. And then like there, there's you enter your character, but in like in Elden Ring, it's like you walk in and the characters and the the bosses and the NPCs they react to your presence. They are. Um, some of them are impressed by you. Some of them are angered by you. Some of them are um, just enamored with who that you're even there. Some of them are just pissed off. They're looking mm. at you fucking crucible knights. Um, <laughs> but I mean, the the idea that your character has larger implications, it, it's interesting because they've never done anything like this before. Cause um, you could argue like one, like Sekiro, but Sekiro was one of those narrative driven games. So it, it kind of sits outside the bounds of what a traditional from software game is. And yeah, then I, I think it's fair to say that Elden Ring is a continuation of the dark soul series much more than anything else. Even if it takes influence from things <laughs> like bloodborne, like Sekiro. Right. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and I think, I just think it's a, it's a really interesting way to look at it to where this is when you're comparing this to other from soft games, you are, you're getting something just entirely fresh but just it is 100% inspired by every single aspect from every single project they've ever worked on. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, I don't I think they would just keep I think they honestly could just go, "Okay, this is what we meant to do all this time." And they could just hang up the towel and I wouldn't even be surprised. I really wouldn't. <laughs> so, we're we're done making souls like games now get ready for Armored Core for the next 15 years. Oh so, <laughs> please please do that. <laughs> Uh, but now I think, um, just if, if we're moving into like the comparison to other souls, uh, souls games, um, obviously one of the, the bigger touching points, and I don't want to touch on this too 
broadly because I, I think this is something that we'll likely want to revisit on the show later just naturally because of our love for the from software games as a whole but mm-hmm. the lore aspect of how dark souls handles its storytelling versus this game they're very similar in that they're very very uh tied to what your your items that you find and the characters you have and a lot of people aren't a fan of that type of storytelling but let me tell you as a listener why that's important and why it's so profound because if you're moving through these games and you are showing up at the, the point in time where your character is in this world and existing arguably after everything has gone to hell the world's literally falling apart what are you going to use to to tell you the story and to figure things out and it's going to be the items you find the environments the writings the texts the right. the messages left by those who came before you to figure out and piece together the story you might be able to do things and accomplish things but those accomplishments won't have any meaning until you can piece together why you had to make that move and elden ring is no different um in that aspect so um the one thing i can say to anyone that's still playing this game um you know if you pick up an item outside of you know i, I mean i shouldn't even say that and anything that you pick up like take the time to read the description i know that can get tedious but like there's so much you can learn just from looking and reading um, about a weapon or armor set, or especially if you know it belonged to someone or it was like someone's armor set or you found it near an NPC. Like there's so much cool stuff uh, that Souls games and Elden Ring is no different can tell you about about the character. And the only thing I'll say about Elden Ring and how it compares to other Souls games in this aspect is that there is literally a whole circulating world, not just a small area that these games mm-hmm. can tell these stories with. So it makes, you know, the, not just the item and who it could be correlated to or what it, area it could be from. The world is all encompassing in this game. In the Souls games, you have distant lands with characters that come to a common area to to exist and help tell the main story. But in this game, everyone exists in the lands between outside, you know, the old or ancient gods um right so this game is all encompassing and doesn't allow you to look or doesn't um afford the player the ability to look outside of the scope of the story it's trying to tell and all in all it just it makes the game feel that much more comprehensive and tying that back into what we were talking about with how the player is part of the story and not playing a character that's part of the story it really ties things together. And if you look and lean into the lore, you will feel so connected. And then whenever you get to the end of game and get the chance to really actually choose an ending that resonates with the path that you actually chose for yourself, it makes it so much more impactful, regardless of the fact that every ending is only 15 seconds. So (laughs) sorry, I went on a soapbox there. I'll let Max take over, but no, no, I think that's good. But it also, the thing I wanted to add to that is that, reading those item descriptions adds a whole different vector of of value to the things that you pick up right mm-hmm. where like even if you find weapons or armor that don't fit your build um it's still fun finding those things because of item descriptions like that and the flavor that it gives the world and and helps you better understand you know how the different factions of this world kind of fit together um so e- 
it's kind of nice that there isn't just stat-based value that can make the world feel kind of cold and video gamey. Um, instead, all of these armor parts or, you know, all, what have you, anything you find in the world um, also has value from a narrative perspective where it's helping, it's pieces of the puzzle effectively um, and gives you a new way of, of understanding the environment that you're in. So there's a narrative reason to explore as well, not just to level up your character. Um, and I think that's really cool. Yeah, I, I think one other point that I want to make, and it kind of runs tangential, excuse me, runs tangential to that point, is that the I love that to play this game um, comparatively to other souls games as you're you're running through a souls game there's a def there's a very very defined path that the games mm -hmm. have you take and there there are some optional areas and some optional things that you can do but i would say the the optional area to define path ratio in a souls game is like 90 percent to 10 percent ratio um may maybe you know afford a little bit in like the later entries but um in Elden Ring, I would say the 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 defined required path to <laughs> to optional is like five percent required, ninety five percent optional. I think yeah. there's over a hundred and twenty five bosses in this game, and I think only nine was it nine or twelve? It's it's like sub. I know it's sub fifteen are optional bosses. So and. But the cool thing is, is that there's so many more than those 15 that are tied to the narrative. And yeah. of those 15, all of them have like interconnections and like are connected in some way to other bosses and how like the Crucible Knights are part of this faction. And, you know, I don't want to get into the specifics. I'll let Vati handle that. Um, but like <laughs> we all just lean is, on Vati. <laughs> hey, if we don't lean on Vati for our Dark Souls lore where would we be i'm just <laughs> tell me that max you locked yourself out of your house you piece of shit there it is 15 <laughs> minutes on the dot Look at that. um but every everything connects is all i'm trying to say and i don't want to I, I could talk about this all night but just my appreciation for the the attention to detail and i i, I would be i, I want to i would pay good money to find out exactly how much influence George R. R. Martin had on this story because Honestly. I can't imagine that he did anything more than scribble a bunch of names on a napkin and hand it off to uh, <laughs> Miyazaki, uh, Miyazaki and the crew. Yeah, yeah sure. that's got to be it, right? Because this is indistinguishable as far as I'm concerned from the way that FromSauce generally does business. Yeah. Um, I, I heard a rumor today that every character's name starts with the letter G, the letter R, or the letter M, and I'm like, oh, God, why is that true? <laughs> oh, you just bummed me out in such a <laughs> right? that's way. Right? That's what I... That sucks. I, listen, that happened to me, and I hated it, so you have to live with this, this pain, too. <laughs> that's fair enough. Um, So one of the things that I was looking at in preparation for this episode was an Ars Technica article... Um. That's about the history of open world games. Um, 
And it's sort of funny looking back that like the idea of being an open world game, it kind of goes back to like the very beginnings of video games themselves, text-based video games and things where you had an immense amount of freedom and like that it's always been kind of a, a dream, I think. Um, so there's been a lot of different attempts at this when we moved into 3D, things like Super Mario 64 really started to like cash in on that kind of vision of of just having a freeform 3D open space and letting a player navigate through it. Mm-hmm. And then we hit 2001. And 2001 is where Grand Theft Auto 3 came out. Um and I, I need to like mea culpa right off the bat here cuz on previous episodes um I think when I've talked about this form of open world game before, I've always called it the Ubisoft model. Um, and that's not strictly true. And I think let's Rockstar off the off the hook a little bit for for really like creating this idea of a big map with icons glued all over it. There's a mini map and icons that are like, you know, lines that drive you from mission to mission um, and repeated content, you know, it, it'll say it'll has 150 missions, but really there's 15 and you just do each like <laughs> X number of times. Um, and you look at every open world game that's come out since then. And almost all of them have cop from that model. I bring all this up to say that I think in terms of open world game design, Elden Ring is such a different chapter. Um, and shows that that's not what an open world game has to be. There's a lot of things where it just questions these sort of assumptions that other developers have made about what players want out of an open world or what they can trust their players to understand and uncover. Um, And so what I want to say before we transition to talking about it in the Souls games is that from an open world perspective, Elden Ring, I think, is such a landmark. It is such a huge moment, and I guarantee you, we will see other developers try and emulate this this kind of model going forward, and that can only mean good things, because it's pushing forward <laughs> a, a different model than we've seen in the past. Yeah, and I, I'm as a as a player, obviously. It's it's so funny how this game was an expansion on so many things that we were all waiting for. It's like mm-hmm. you, it's taking the Souls franchise to a new level in a new way. It's taking open world games in a new level to a new way. It's taking uh, boss design to new levels and new ways. Um, but what I what I like about this is the fact that like this. I feel this was the time for it. And it's so unique to be able to say that in the video game industry with any type of certainty, because people try new things all the time. Things There's a lot of successes, a lot of failures, but nothing has ever been... Well, let, let me say it like this. In the age of games, your Call of Duties and your Fortnites and everything like this, mm-hmm. everyone has this insatiable need that, I'm sorry if this offends you, for new things all the time, something to satisfy that pit in their stomach for a new game or a new uh, craving that was created by 
you know, these dollar store junk food games like Fortnite, like Call of Duty Warzone, things like that. And whenever a game comes out that breaks every sales record in the history of video games, shatters 12 million copies in the first couple weeks and just blows, literally gets the highest rated game of all time. And it literally is a stray away from every single stereotype in gaming to literally the, the opposite degree. Um, Mm -hmm. it, It tells you that we were ready for new things. It tells you that this is, this was the time for this. And just to touch on the fact that this can only be good for gaming, you know, think about all the things that, you know, outside of from software, if we just look at souls, souls like games that were just tremendous successes, you know, uh, Lords of the Fallen was probably one of the first souls clones. Great. You know, I, I didn't really care for it, but it had a great reception in the souls community. And that's funny because there's kind of like factions, um, but you know, code vein, Neo, mortal shell, and like, like Lords of the Fallen. And then you take that same concept and apply it to, you know, different genres like Metroidvanias where you have Hollow Knight and Dead yeah. Cells and you have like um, Ender Lilies and all the Fist, all those types of games that are, are like that. And I, this expanding this model onto the next generation of games as a whole is only going to make things better. Um, and even if people, you know, you have your purists out there, they're like, well, it's no Elden Ring. And you're right. It, it won't be. We should, what, what we should take from that is not gatekeeping. We should take the idea that this is the inspiration for what's coming next. And you should, we should embrace that as a gaming culture and not try to gatekeep everyone from being like Elden Ring. So, yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, you think of this as it's a artistic uh, inspiration as well as a mechanical one. You know, like you mentioned, everybody has aped things from Dark Souls. It has been <coughs> easily one of the most influential games. You know, I think it is to the 2010s what Ocarina of Time was for the 1990s into the early 2000s. Um, you know, it is such a landmark moment. And I think it's possible that we're witnessing that again from the same developer, which as far as I know is just, I mean, that's unprecedented. Um, maybe Nintendo when Breath of the Wild came out. Um, but it's it's a huge, huge moment. And I really want to like take a moment just to recognize that. Um, you know, and I'm excited for when we revisit maybe from Sauce Library up until this point, like, you know, a year from now. You know, to see the retrospective that, or the echoes and reverberations that this has throughout the industry, because I guarantee you there will be an impact. I and I hope there is. I, if if there's not, then gaming as a as a whole has learned no lessons. Um, yeah. And everything else to this point has been a lie, <laughs> and I don't know how I can emotionally cope with that. So, <clears throat> um. So, go ahead. Go ahead. What I wanted to ask you, Michael, is kind of taking in the scope from open world games in general and now talking about Dark Souls games and FromSoft's library, how does Elden Ring stack up for you against some of the other games in the series or or the developer's previous work? 
So this is a tough question. I've actually <laughs> I've been asked this by a few people. Um, mm-hmm. Being one of the only people that within my like group of uh, acquaintances and friends that have actually finished the game. Um, not that you haven't, just some of the people that I immediately talked to. Um, it, it's really hard because one, you have to, I feel like with FromSoft games, you really have to bounce off the idea of um, nostalgia because, mm-hmm. and this is coming from someone, don't hate me, people out there that are Souls fans, don't hate me for this. For the longest time, my favorite FromSoft game was Demon Souls. I loved it. I loved it so much. But then that was because I didn't have an appreciation for the lore yet. And I played them all with a sword and a shield and didn't. I I literally beat my head against every single one of those games until I finally won. And Mm -hmm. so they were like, they were chores for me. I loved them, but they were chores for me. So now when I'm looking at them with this new light and this new way that I've played these games and the appreciation for the finer details, um, then I moved to Dark Souls 1, and then I still hadn't played Dark Souls 3. You forced me to play it all but, anyway. Um, <laughs> and that became quickly, you know, one of my favorites, but it was because of how much I loved 1, because they're, they're the same game. I'm you. Don't <laughs> fight me. They're the same game. Um, just faster. <clears throat> so Elden Ring is just so, it's so different because up until this point, I've been sitting in the same world and the same universe with the same story that kind of connect everything and playing dark souls three for like the teen time through just because there's no online mode anymore. Um, (laughs) It's made me kind of realize that, you know, Elden Ring has opened my eyes as it should with the rest of the gaming community to what truly makes a game viable isn't the same formula it's perfecting the things kind of like when we talked about metroid dread it's perfecting the things that other people have done and and pushing the finer details to the point of perfection and to Mm -hmm. that note i would have i would have to argue that from software has i hope i'm wrong don't be wrong i would have to say that from software is peaked here like this is probably their best entry um, the storytelling is is so pristine and so perfect. The boss battles are very meticulous and they're very intentional. The 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 weapon and the attack delay is very intentional. Um and the the broad scope of playstyles that this game opens up, not just from the boss angle, but just from the items and the discoverability, um, all the way down to just playing the game with with ranged weapons, which is unheard of. And right. other Souls games. So this this is just a it it has not been until this game where they have opened the door for players to choose any play style and it to be a viable option. Mm-hmm. And before then they were trickster plays or a stream uh, a stream category, you know, like oh I know sure. an all bow run of you know Dark Souls. But this game is truly affording everyone to play at their level. And there is, it's the most inclusive of the Souls games without isolating those people who truly are experts at this at this game type. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like it does a good job of not gatekeeping in any of those categories. So I know there's a long-winded answer, but it's my way of saying it's it's close, but I think Elden Ring really is the pinnacle of, of the franchise as a whole. So I'm glad you talked about the accessibility of this game because I agree completely. Um and one of the things that I think differentiates Elden Ring 
from Bloodborne, Sekiro, the other Dark Souls games, is that it, part of it is its intent is is different. Um, where they put such an emphasis on that customizability of character. Um, and I think it's a really good, you know, I, we'll talk in a little bit about who this game is for, but if you're new or been maybe scared off from uh, some of the other FromSoft games, Elden Ring is an incredible starting point. There are so many different ways to mitigate what is initially up front, um, a, a kind of overwhelming difficulty based on, you know, different builds, different summons, um, help from other players, a, an entire and full robust magic system that can absolutely trounce bosses and is completely broken. Um, 100%. Yeah, but it, it's there for a reason. And that reason is to make sure that anybody can put together a character that they feel comfortable sort of navigating this world with mm -hmm. um what i will say is that with that kind of focus there is a trade-off um one of the things that i love most about FromSoft games is you know there are there have been a couple of moments in games past where um you know I beat a boss and I put down the controller and I literally have to do a lap because my hands are still shaking, mm -hmm. you know, where yeah. you just feel like you've been beating your head against the wall for so long and finally you got it down. Um, and I didn't have that moment in Elden Ring. I think part of that is because when you give players so much freedom and the ability to go anywhere, what you're giving up is a little bit bit of control over their level progression um i had done a ton of exploring around a lot of different areas and it felt like by the time i hit the late game i had just climbed over the difficulty curve hmm. um you know so the last couple of bosses were like you know the the last boss of this game was a two run for me and mm -hmm. I, I came away with it just kind of going <sighs> narratively it's really cool but a lot of the like fight mechanics or the boss mechanics in this game um, left me a little bit colder than other entries in the series. Um, you know, and I think that's just kind of a... It, it's not like FromSoft is dropping the ball in any kind of way. It's that this game, I think, has a different intent than Dark Souls or... or I keep bringing up Sekiro because I think that's still going to be like top of the pile for me. Um, the least accessible FromSoft game ever. Yeah, I have to be a gatekeepy <laughs> asshole. <laughs> I mean, that's totally fine. I mean, it's that's that's the nature of that game, and I, I really do think my problem with Sekiro is I I literally am the least rhythmically inclined person. <laughs> I'm a shit musician. I've tried to play three or four different instruments in my life, and I've been told by personal trainers and not personal trainers but uh like just a guy at the gym who was like you look like you suck at guitar <laughs> uh, like people who do lessons that they're like i don't think this is for you my uh, my good friend shane literally i was taking lessons from him and he went sorry dude like you're you're just not good at music <laughs> and i think you, that's why man. i have such a hard time with sekiro because there's very much a rhythm to it um but 
Yeah, so I I don't know. I, I think it's a good point because there were there were definitely a few bosses, and I, I you know we actually just talked about this earlier today. So it's actually really cool to be able to just to reference something from the out <laughs> the the touch grass world. Um, <laughs> but when it came to like that, you're right. That handshaking boss experience where you get so amped and you mm-hmm. finally beat it. Um, honestly, and I like I said this to you earlier. I felt like there was only one boss in the game that gave me the, the and that was um, Melania or whatever her name is. But I literally said I felt like I only beat it because the RNG boss gods like smiled on me. I didn't feel like I overcame that battle. I felt right. like I beat my head against it for probably two or 300 tries, which is not an exaggeration. And finally got lucky with the fact that she didn't spam me with the same bullshit move over and over again. And I don't feel like this is a real victory. So I think that's a really yeah. good point that I, I'm glad that you brought up because I think commander Nile was the same way. Um, mm-hmm. cause I, I had a lot of trouble with him in my second run, um, after the nerfs. Um, and then, uh, what was the other boss? Uh, there was another one. I don't remember. Moog maybe. No, it wasn't Moog. I don't know, but there was a there was a couple of the bosses that I really struggled with, but I didn't ever feel like there was a, a point to where I went, okay, let me slow down, let me figure this out, let me learn, and I'll come back to this with a fresh mind. Um, and I, go ahead. Sorry, I don't want to step on your point if you're not done. No, no, you're good. Go ahead. Um, I think there's a pretty good. I think I I know why that is. Um, there's a by the way, there's a YouTube channel. Uh, by this guy Noah Caldwell Gervais. I'll I'll put the link in the description for this episode. This guy is incredible, um, and one of the best content creators out there. And he doesn't have nearly the following that he should. Um, but he recently did this huge essay about going through Dark Souls for the first time and his experience, like not getting with these games to going through them each for the first time up through Elden Ring. And one of the things that he pointed out is that Elden Ring's bosses have the speed and ferocity of Sekiro bosses. You're stuck with a Dark Souls move set, which is much slower and much clunkier. Um, which means that in order to overcome bosses in Elden Ring, you're not quite meeting them where they are in the same way that you are in Dark Souls, where you really have to learn their move set and getting close with them. You're finding a way to sort of mitigate and get around all of their bullshit strategies you know you can't really melania is a, or melana melanoma is a great boss fight example <laughs> of this you know for that one super move that goes on for eight thousand fucking years oh my you gosh know, dude yeah it's not a it's a matter of getting out of the way you know of just like avoiding her for that long um you know where you're not forced to do quick time dodges or, or whatever because you can't do it that way yeah um i think this makes elden ring more accessible but probably makes the boss fights less less rewarding because i i had a lot of the same experiences that you did a feeling like i i beat it but i don't know why i beat it you yeah. know what i mean yeah and I, it's funny because I got, I very much got the, the sense of like natural progression. And I'm not, I really am not trying to take anything away from Elden Ring when I say this, because I'm just, 
I, and it's because I'm really coming to this realization now that we're really talking about it. Um, like with the tree sentinel and with uh, Margaret, your your first encounter with him. Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> he is good time I, to I really, do a spoiler alert. Hour fifteen into the episode. <laughs> um, so, sorry, but I I feel like that was those were bosses that I I did feel that way. Like I I, mm-hmm. I really did feel like I was learning every time that I fought them, and it really helped to do those. But I, I think you're right. In these other ones, I I feel like they just relied on. Maybe maybe it was the design. Maybe it was you know like you said. There's they were a little bit out of place and were trying to take things from the wrong areas and reapply them to to areas that didn't quite fit in in the in the realm of uh, the experience of the player. So I don't know. That's a good that's a good point. I'd like I'd have to take that back and reflect on it. Um, I will say as a whole, even taking that into account, I still. I had a just a fucking blast with this oh, game, yeah. and I still am. It's just it's just so amazing, and I think that's where like there's a hard delineation between the Souls games and Elden Ring. Is like the the high point of a Souls game is the boss experiences. Mm-hmm. That is not the high point of Elden Ring. Agreed. There's some 100% really agreed good boss battles, but the the areas and the exploration and the honestly. <laughs> I think it might be like the top one or number two thing, the stunning visuals in this game. Not the graphics, the mm-hmm. world that they created for you to it's look at. It's the art design. It's the art design beautiful. is incredible. Um, you know, every like going from any area apart from Caleb, fuck Caleb, is just <laughs> draw-joppingly gorgeous. Um, and that, by the way, extends to both the enemy designs and the boss designs. You know, I, I think there are some problems with the mechanics. And I, again, I don't want to make it sound like I hate Elden Ring. I don't. This game is fucking incredible. Um, but even where I think the boss fights lacked mechanically, their art design is fucking phenomenal. Yeah. Every single one of them is just dripping with personality. Um, it, 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 it's really just such an achievement. Um, and you're right. I think in a lot of ways, FromSoft is at the top of their game here. Um and has done such a good job making all of these wacky ass characters feel like they fit cohesively into this world. Yeah, I, that's one of the cool things that I I really I do want to mention. I know this kind of it, I'm kind of backtracking into other things that we've talked about, but I want to make sure it's discussed because this this can really this is really important to me. Like especially when I'm playing through like you know other open world games or I mean really any game in general. Every area you come to. It's not like you find the same creatures like across the world. Every area has like a unique like enemy and like and multiple of them. And mm-hmm. whether whether it's the fucking creepy crawling ten fingered hands or like <laughs> the like the giant bird slash dog things that you'll find in uh Kalid or like just the bears or every area just feels like it's teeming with life in its own that make the world just so much more believable. And you really, you need to stop and pay attention to those things because there's lore reasons for it. There's, uh, there's artistic reasons for it. And all of those things just married together, um, narratively speaking can just so are just so amazing. Um, and it's not often where you'll find a game where they don't reuse assets 
and like there are some enemies that are bigger than smaller like the bears or there's you know they have some of those like those monkey creatures uh mm. type creatures that you you'll find across like the aliens of elden ring but it really makes the idea that the world is sprawling and things are repeated because it's it's the same world so they can like but you get the idea that it's a natural evolution of of movement across the world or that you know the things that exist in in Kaled only exist there because that rotten disgusting land that's there mm. is the only place that's suitable for life for those rot creatures they wouldn't be able to survive in other areas and those things are never told to you in the game it's just you naturally feel that way in the way that you're playing it. And Elden Ring does a su- such a good job. You don't even realize it without really discussing it of making you really uh, feel like that's actually true, uh, just based on the way that the game's designed. There's a lot of incredible environmental storytelling that goes on in this game, particularly in some of the... And we haven't really settled on a good term for these yet. Some people call them like the legacy dungeons. These are the parts of the game that feel much more like Dark Souls games. Um, so like Stormvale Castle mm. would would fit very well into the old like Dark Souls model um, where it's one area with a lot of verticality and you're sort of, you know, you get to have those moments of like, oh, this elevator leads back up to here and have those clicks, mm. um, which are kind of few and not few and far between in this game but but less so than we would have seen in previous entries um what i mean particularly with stormville castle as you get closer to this confrontation um with the king that lives here you'll go from the outside barricades into this inner chamber and you'll find like this huge butcher room where you have all these trussed up bodies and they're all missing their limbs. It's super creepy and it's kind of, you know, you've seen the trailer for this game at this point, so you know where the <laughs> fuck this is going. But when you finally get to the boss, you figure out what he needed all those limbs for. They've all been grafted onto him. And I love the fact that, like, rather than that just being a really cool character design, um, that element of his character has been thought about like, you know, how does he get all those limbs? Like <laughs> it's, it's a huge part of like the environment as well. And like these people that go out and hunt, like get like, um, sacrifices for him. You know, it, it, what I like about FromSoft games is that things don't just stop at like, this would be a really cool character. We'll make him have the, like this, this creepy element to him. And that's as far as it goes. They always think a little bit further than that about the implications that has for the character and the world that's around them. Yeah. And then they go backwards and go, okay, how did it get to that? And what yeah. creatures were there before him? And how did he get there? It's just, everything is just so, so freaking well thought out. It's just a credit to, to Miyazaki. I'm not going to give you any credit, George R. R. Martin. Fuck you. He ruined my life once. So <laughs> I, I bet at some point, I don't know, maybe, maybe we'll no, sometimes nope. figure out like, <laughs> Oh, I thought you were going to credit Miyazaki th- or uh, credit George R. R. Martin there. Sorry. No, no what go you ahead. Nuts. No, <laughs> I was going to say maybe someday we'll figure out what he actually did on this game. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I just, 
the way that this game was created and just so like I didn't feel like as I was traversing through this world that there was a single boulder or patch of grass or fucking giant spectral Viking shooting me with an arrow <laughs> that wasn't just completely utterly intentional. Like yeah. it was every inch of this world has been meticulously crafted and thought out to just to be beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't, I literally can't think of a part where I went, well, I feel like that's like a copy paste of X, Y, Z area. I feel like, when Miyazaki was doing his test run, he may have found that and fired whoever did that. And really, like, all right, re- now, that's why there's 17 underground areas because someone copied and pasted and that forced the whole development team into having to create a new area. <laughs> that was their punishment. <laughs> I think that's fair. Um, was there anything in particular that, stru- <laughs> that stuck out to you as a glaring issue in the game? Um... I I talked a little bit about and I I can't specifically um Okay, yes. So for I'll I'll get back to that one cuz I need to take the time to think about and articulate it. Of um I thought the fluidity of the storytelling could have been a little bit more um <sighs> A little bit more rigid, I guess. I know I use fluidity and rigid and t- together there, but like <laughs> I I wanted to progress the storyline. Mm-hmm. And there was like the sites of grace what you could follow, but okay, if you could follow the sites of grace, good for you, because I couldn't do it. I had no fucking clue where they were trying to lead me. One was pointing this direction, one was going that way, right. and I, I just couldn't follow it. Um so there was a point in the game where I ended up in Red Main Castle. And I got to the end of Redmain Castle and I just hit a brick wall because in the middle of that courtyard, there was a crucible knight and then there was a misbegotten or felt whatever they were called creature. And it was a dual battle. And I, it was the only time in the entirety of that game that I summoned anyone Mm -hmm. because I was like, there was no progression at all. Like I, I, I was not finding myself overcoming I could beat the first guy with no problems, but the Crucible Knight just pounded me into the floor. Right. Um, and then whenever I was talking to someone else that I know that was playing the game, they were like, that they weren't even there for me. Like, that's where you start the festival. And yeah. I was like, what fucking festival are you talking about? And then I get up there and there's, fight me if you think I'm wrong, that's Slave Knight Gale sitting in that fucking chair. It does look <laughs> a lot like him, doesn't it? It is, it is him, 100%. But... Um, He's he's not even there. And I'm like, what the fuck is this area? So it took me hours of gameplay to even go back to that thing, that area, because I was like, okay, this is just another place. And I didn't even fight Star Scourge Radon until way later because I didn't have any idea or structure. So don't get me wrong, I'm not saying I want there to be a go here, go here, go here. But I feel like with the number of NPCs that this game had, and I know that they've kind of fixed this now with the, like the NPC mm. encounters. Um, I'm talking specifically like pot boy, for instance, yeah. uh, Alexander, the jar warrior. I found him naturally on my own and then hit, hit him and got him out of the ground. Um, and he was like, Hey, I'm on my way to this festival. I had no idea that like, this was part of like the storyline. So right. I, my only complaint was in a world this big, I needed a little bit more um, of a direction. And 
I like the idea with the sights of grace. And the only thing I want, I wanted was even for the sights of grace to be a little bit more deliberate and pointing me in which way to go or sing, have a singularity in, cause they, they pointed in all different directions and I didn't fully understand why or what that was because I, I don't want the game to tell me where or what to do. Right. It, there was a, a pattern that it was trying to instill in me and I couldn't understand it. I think that's and I pretty still good don't point. understand it. Because so. I'm pretty sure that the Sights of Grace point not only to, like, the main storyline quest, but also can point you towards, like, some different side quests and things. But there's no differentiation between which ones are pointing you towards the main quest and which to the side quests. And it would be nice if, like, either make that a difference in, like, you know, the color of the, the light that's pointing you or something like that. Or just don't point me towards the side quest. Just, you know... Single point of truth, like, if I wanted to follow the main story, this is the path you take. Yeah, and, that w- what I, what, and the reason I like that is because, or a reason I think that's an improvement that the game could have is because there was at no point was that was I following a site of grace that I felt like I was following a straight line. It was still mm-hmm. just saying, hey, go that direction. That's a good way to go. And I was freely exploring, and I was finding my own way, and the only thing I was doing is looking at my map and going, okay, that's like further up the line. Am I looking for another side of grace? And it afforded me the ability to go, now I'm in this area. Let's look around and see what we can find. So I didn't feel like it was limiting me in any way. So I feel sure. like by having that more fluid sense of direction, I may it may have made finding the path of the story a little easier. Um Ultimately, that's probably really only my biggest complaint at a, at, other than what we just talked about with some of the boss battles. I wish they were a little bit more intentional in their design. Um, yeah. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I did find my way. I beat the story. I've beaten every ending that I could find um, and some that I had to Google to find. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I've beaten everything I could find in this game. And now I will say there's still a few catacombs that I have. I know where they're at. I've marked on my map that I'm like, oh, God, that's all the way up on the snow mountaintops. I'm not going all the way back up there because um, yeah. I hate it up there. So I know I can warp to a side of grace 15 feet from it, but fuck that. That's a lot of work. I don't even mm-hmm. want to scroll up to that area. That's just not <laughs> what I wanted to do. Um, yeah, I, honestly, I really couldn't think of anything outside of um, maybe – not so much scarlet rot. <laughs> I Dear did God. not like the lake of rot. I had a really hard time with the idea that you have to I have I don't know how many times I died because I didn't have enough healing materials to get to the area. I had to go yeah. and farm and try to craft to I, get through it. So I just saved it for the late game or like the end game. I I beat the story and then came back to the lake of rot just to see what the fuck was around there. Um, and spoiler alert, not that much. Yeah. I think Ronnie's quest line is the only thing that's really like important to that area. Well, yeah, but you can, well, yeah, you can kind of get through it. I I mean, I, I truck through it to get to the, the side of grace on the other side. Oh, okay. Um, You mean like out in, I didn't go around. I know there's like a, one of those like boss dragon kin warrior things like in Mm -hmm. the rot. But and I saw him and I was like, no, that guy's just gonna stay there. He can rest in peace forever. I don't care. Which, by the way, if there's any weeaboos listening to this podcast, um, look at the the 
enemy design for the dragonkin and tell me that's not an Eva unit from Neon Genesis Evangelion. Because I'm 90% sure that's what, where that came from. Um, apologies for anybody who doesn't watch anime. And also, good for you. You've made good choices <laughs> with your life. I know uh, Eva Evangelion because of my friend Mike Roos. Um, he has tried to get me to watch that many times. He actually has like these like... Yeah, I think it has like six or seven of them now, but they're like mm. 35 to 40 inch statues of each of the like Eva units or whatever they're called. Yeah. And yeah. he sends me photos of them every time a new one comes in. And they're each of them are at least like $1,500. Yeah, that seems so. right. <laughs> anyway, um, don't worry. Um, there's if, if, if that doesn't tickle your weeb fancy, there's always Ronnie for you. So, which by true. the way, is it Ranny or Ronnie? I always say Ronnie. I, I, yeah, I think I've said Ronnie. I think that seems right. I always like the idea of like female, like male names that are said when you read them differently, even though they're said the same, they have like an entirely different meaning in my head. And I'm just like, it's like before this, it'd be like, wow, would I ever simp for someone named Ronnie? Ronnie. No, fuck no. <laughs> and then it's like, I play and this game. And I'm like, oh God, Ronnie. <laughs> Me and Blade going to battle it out. <laughs> Which oh, is it? Blod, blade, bleed, blad, blade. I think it's blade. Weirdly enough, blade. In this, there's two the D's way, at the end of his name. Yeah, but like, okay, the the ever. I think it's G A E L. How do you say that? How always that ever goal? Jail. It's ever jail. Ever jail. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, Which I had to guess. Look I'll at- die. <laughs> <laughs> But it actually makes sense, given what those things are, an actual, like, prison. That makes sense. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I I liked those. I thought that was, like, a unique take on, hey, we just want to throw another fucking random boss battle. Yeah, exactly. I don't don't know. I I, I like them. I wish they were... Okay, well, first of all, let's back up a little bit, because uh, there's... There's a few that like a few things in this game where they have like these puzzle like aspects. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you did this one or not. Um and the rise of the Albinarix where you finish Ronnie's quest line at the top of the uh, that mountain. Yep. Tracking. First of all, I beat my head off a wall trying to figure out how to get up there before I realized and finished the quest line and actually got up there. Um very frustrating. Uh, but when I got up there at the bottom part of that area, there's the church with the puzzle you have to solve to get in there where you have to find the three wise beasts and mm-hmm. hit them. And there's these three dogs, LOL, uh, that you <laughs> that you have to, uh, I don't know if you're privy to that. Uh, no, of course. What are you, okay. yeah. I'm just saying you're, you're on Reddit. You should know, but if you didn't, I just wanted to make sure. Um, so these three turtles that you have to find. <laughs> so the first two were like one's on the side of the hill. One's on like over this little embankment. This oh, felt yeah. so fucking out of place to me. There's mm. the third turtle is just gleefully floating with a giant ass smile on his face over the area at the top of this windstream, uh, yeah. tour. And I was, I literally almost had a heart attack because, I jumped up there and saw him, and I was like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> I was like, this makes absolutely no sense. 
I hate it so much. Thanks. Guess I'll die. Like I was so mad. I, I don't know. I, it was honestly like, and I know this is like such a small gripe, but it, it like broke the immersion for me. I was like, there's literally no reason this dude is floating in the air. Oh, dude, I am so willing to let. One of the things that I think gets kind of underappreciated about FromSoft is that they have a really good sense of humor. Um, it, like it things like it early on in Limgrave when you're riding along towards Stormville for the first time. I don't know if this happened to you, but there were a couple of times where just a pack of wolves would just descend on me. Like, it seems like they just got dropped down into the environment. And I didn't know if it was a glitch or an intentional, but it was funny as shit. <laughs> it's funny because when you're like, I, FromSoft is always really funny. The only thing I like, I'm having like PTSD moments of like Dark Souls 1 lore and I'm like, funny, I don't see anything funny about this. I'm like, oh yeah, Guinevere and Seath fucked and had a baby. Gwen was ashamed, shoved it in the cell and then they shoved it in the painted world and you find its doll and then you go murder it just so you can get an awesome dagger. That's hilarious. <laughs> I mean, it's not not funny. I mean more in terms of things like... um. In in uh, Tomb of the Giants, like there's a skeleton shooting you with a bow, and he, you're like making a beeline for him. And as you get to right in front of him, behind a cliff that you couldn't see, there's another skeleton who's ready to kick you <laughs> off the cliff. That's, That's a fair. funny ass joke. It, it you know it sounds funny, but when it happens to you, it isn't fucking funny. Because inevitably, six feet beyond that is the bonfire, and as you're falling, you're like, no. <laughs> So, I know you're laughing now, but in that moment, I'm not laughing. (laughs) Yeah, it's a mean prank, (laughs) but it's a pretty good prank. Elden Ring has plenty of those. There's a completely optional area in the game, and I don't know if you did this area, but um, I think it's in the the Divine Tower of Khalid, or Khalid, Mm -hmm. or however people say it. You can actually scale the side of that building. Oh yeah, and then yep. go down all the way to the basement of there, and there's this Godskin mm-hmm. Apostle at the base of that building. Uh, first of all, did that area way before I should have. Thank God Same. there's a Sight of Grace at the bottom of that because yep. I wanted to get the fuck out of there. I got my ass kicked by that boss <laughs> the first time, and it it's funny that you get a sense of you know a boss that like okay this isn't me not learning the boss i'm just not leveled for this oh yeah for uh, and mostly it's your damage output mm. um because like and that was one of the things i guess we since we were talking about like gripes about the game was like um but maybe and maybe this is a good time to like transition into this uh this game has like one super boss and arguably it's just fucking broken because, like, my idea of, like, a super boss is, like, bosses that have just an insane amount of health and a lot of, like, insta-kill moves and just yeah. require you to actually get better at the game and at that boss and learn it to overcome it. Um, but that's usually, like, my indicator of, like, when I come up against something is, like, that I hit the boss and it's, like, I do my normal amount of damage, but its health bar is, like... It barely nudges, and I'm like, yeah, I shouldn't be here yet. Like, this is, yeah, this is not, I'm not ready for this. So they did, they did a really good job of like telling you when it was okay. And I think that's why so many of us struggled with the tree sentinel was because we didn't have any gauge of like what was normal. Um, yeah, and not to mention his health bar true. moved relatively 
well whenever you hit him. It was just whenever he hits you, you have no vigor points yet. So you're whenever you get hit, your health bar is like all the way down. So if you've gotten to this point in the podcast and you're, you know, in the middle of going through this game and kind of struggling with this, I would say like my my guiding principle for this um, this problem was if I hit a boss and I could consistently get their health halfway down, I had a pretty good sense that I can probably finish the job. If I was struggling to get to that halfway point on their health bar, I would like just fuck off and find something else to do. Yeah, and I I think that that's a good point because whenever you compare that to other Souls games, and we kind of touched on this, there wasn't you could obviously go back and relevel and play. This game allowed the player to go off and do and find new, fun, enjoyable, amazing, awesome, incredible, mm. breathtaking things to do and still have a great time. And other games were like, you either beat this boss to find that next cool breathtaking thing to do, or you go back and you do all that shit you just hated and slogged through to do it again. So that way you can mm. get that because like the, the high moments of other Souls games, like I said, are the bosses and overcoming those and the endorphin rush you get when you beat those. Elden Ring, you experience that endorphin rush in seven different other ways. So beating yeah. a boss doesn't have that same like overwhelming rush of emotion as it does. And it's hard because at that point, like, is it because the bosses aren't as challenging so you don't get that feeling? Or is it just because there's so many other things the game has to offer that give you that same like amazing level of uh, accomplishment or like that you just don't feel it as much. I think that's a fair point. Um, You know, I I would say, like I said earlier, this game is interested in doing different things. And exploration is much more of the focus of this game. Um, That exploration can be really rewarding and there's a ton of interesting things to do and, and see and kind of explore and immerse yourself in. Um, but I crave that kind of handshaking sort of accomplishment endorphin rush that you got from Souls bosses that I was I was missing here. Um, and and I, again, I don't think that's them you know, messing up these bosses in any sort of way. Everything they do is intentional. They're just interested in giving people a different experience in Elden Ring than they were in uh, Dark Souls. Mm. Um, if I could get, just going back to the things I wish I, like, like my complaints about the game, mm. I think about 30% of the bosses, and I'm going to make a Dark Souls 1 reference here, but you know how when... when there are a lot of bosses that you'll butt up against sure. in Dark Souls Run, like the Taurus Demon and the Copper Demon, that you'll find later on, and they are just regular enemies. Yeah. I would have much preferred that take as opposed to the repetition that you face in Elden Ring. Um, yeah. Because there, there, like, there's a part specifically, I think it's before, is her name Selen? Like the, the magician Selen you find in one of the ruins. Yeah, yeah. In front of her room, you fight like one of those pumpkin head guys, and it's a mm. boss, and you down it in like three hits. There's no reason for it to be a boss. It's just another enemy that happens to have a health bar. And I, I think it's okay for them just to say, hey, this is just a regular enemy. Because I'd, 
I didn't get the feeling of, yes, I've crushed that boss. I went, that was disappointing. I was looking forward to a boss battle here. Mm-hmm. So, And I felt that a lot in this game. It, it happened often. So, Well, I think this is kind of, this is part and parcel to what you get with an open world game, right? You have to sort of relinquish, as a developer, or as a, as, you know, as a game creator, you have to relinquish some of the control you have over the player's experience. Things like the Capra Dima demon um, in Dark Souls 1 is a really good example where you know that most players are going to experience the Capra demon as a boss for the first time. Like, it's so early on in the game, and even though it's technically an optional boss, most people don't know that for their first run, and they're probably going to fuck with them. Um, I didn't think... I- how do you get into the depths without killing the copper demon? I thought he dropped the key to the depths. He does drop the key to the depths, but if you start with the master key, you can go down from the very beginning to um, New Londo, take the other ele- elevator back up to the Valley of the Drakes. And no then, shit, I did not know yeah. that. Oh, dude, yeah. I, I haven't done the depths like, in a long time, just because that skip, you get to the bottom of Blight Town in like, the first three hours or something. Holy crap. Anyway, sorry, go on. <laughs> anyway, but <laughs> what I'm saying is that, like, that that emotional kind of journey that you had there, where you're like, oh, it's this guy who was a boss a million years ago. I'm going to kick his ass in now. <laughs> you have to relinquish that a little bit with something like Elden Ring, where you don't know what players are going to do first. You know, mm. some people, that might have been the first time they see a pumpkin head, so... When they see another one out in the world, they might have had that experience, but there's no way to control that. Yeah, I guess I guess that's true. But what would have what would have hurt the? Well, yeah, I don't know. I, I there was a lot of repetition in boss form. Yes, um, for sure. That I would have appreciated a little bit more variety in. However. As the lore unfolds, I'm hoping there's more of an explanation for those things. Because I'm sure there's some... Because I know, like, the misbegotten beasts have some tie to certain factions, as do the Crucible Knights have certain ties to factions as well, that I'm not 100% privy to. I know that it exists, but I don't know what that implication is. That would explain why there's multiple Crucible Knights or there's multiple, you know, other people. So Mm -hmm. that's a a good point. (laughs) predictions for... You know, I I think DLC is kind of inevitable. It's a it's a FromSoft game, and you know, we generally get at least one piece of DLC. Um, is there a storyline? Is there an environment that you'd like to see more of? Like, uh, you know, this is a shot in the dark completely because they um, they always find crazy shit to do with DLC. I think that the DLC. Uh, well, I'll take. I'll give you three things here. Two of them are easy, easy wins because I think this is, um, I think that there's going to be some, some sort of opening the door to a type of more ritualistic or arena based like PVP combat. Okay. Um, just, just based off of the arenas that are very blatantly placed on the map that are closed. Yeah. That's Um, a great point. Yeah. So I, I think that there is an intentional use to that. And I've always, I and I think it's because, and this is so cool, I think it's just due to the nature of how PvP was handled in Dark Souls 3 and like how the internet literally came together to form these fight clubs and there are just known mm-hmm. places that are not, they don't have any PvP implication whatsoever that just are hubs 
for PvP, yeah. for instance, in Dark Souls 1, right outside of Artorias' arena. That is an infamous uh, PvP hot zone. Or in Dark Souls 3, right after Pontiff Sullivan's arena. Yeah. Infamous PvP hot PvP hot zones. Not even when you get into the Aldred's Faithful, just right outside of his arena, there's like a, a little PvP zone. So I think that with Elden Ring, they're really going to do the fans a service and honor that and say, Hey, this is a great area to, we're going to create a structure for you to come in and do those PVP. And you can come in and sit and watch in our arena and have that type of uh, interaction that you really craving. And we're going to create a space for you in this world that uh, exists exclusively for tarnish to come and kind of relish in each other's battles. And I I think that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Like I, I agree. I probably won't ever take place in those because I'm hot trash at (laughs) PVP. But I will gladly go and sit and watch other people who just are awesome and see, if nothing else, just to see the cool shit that I haven't found yet. Mm-hmm. You know, just like, oh, God, like, that's a sick sword. I need to go find more shit to do. Like, that's that's just such a cool way to to open up more aspects of the world to players that haven't explored it completely yet. Um, so that's one. Um, I think another <coughs> would be... Uh, I think we're all curious about what the giant cloud in the middle of the map is. Uh, and I don't think it's any, um, I, I don't think it's a, it's an accident that all of the divine towers create like a hexagonal pattern Mm -hmm. that all intersect in the middle there. So I think that potentially after all the, all the great runes are restored, I think that there could be some type of power, um, the the lore hints deeply at like the great old ones and their connection to the the Elden Ring, um, and how there's a an interdependency on what's happening on the world to keep their powers alive. So there might be some type of uh, interjection by sure. you know, the old ones, or how that opens up a world to like a new world or like some uh, DLC that you you leave the lands between to the land of the gods or the land below. Um, and the only other thing I would guess is, and this is so this is pure conjecture because I gave I gave an absolute something I want to see and something that would be super it's super ethereal but, um, it is called the lands between, mm-hmm. and I want to know what the land is between. <laughs> That's and I'm a not solid question. <clears throat> Well, I and I don't mean it to be like obviously it is funny, but like I don't even mean it to be funny because no, I know if uh, what my my idea was there are the lands between, and then there's the, wherever the old ones are, the ancient ones of the gods, so to speak, are connected to. Is there something below that, and will there mm. whatever DLC they have will it connect? the three or will it provide any more information on these quote unquote lands between? That's a solid question. Yeah. Um, one of the characters that I think I, w- I was sort of interested in and I, I'll, I'll put my bet on for the DLC having some sort of connection to is, um, Mikola, Melania's twin brother, um, who apparently is in that gross egg that's behind Mog that just has a hand like, sticking out of it yeah <laughs> i i think that character is so central to the lore um and not really explored upon and doesn't make any kind of an appearance in this game um you know the first 
analog I thought to of or like the first parallel that I thought of was Artorias from Dark Souls one. Um, you know, it may be kind of hard to remember at this point that Artorias wasn't a part of the base game. He was right. mentioned a whole lot and a super central figure, but it wasn't until the DLC that we actually saw him, despite him being on the cover of the fucking box of the game. <laughs> Listen, I, I know this is outside of the scope of what we're talking about, but I challenge anyone to walk into Dark Souls without looking at a tutorial and f- find your way into the DLC to that game. Such a good point. <laughs> it's impossible. There's no way. Yeah, I, literally the first time I played through the game, I when the DLC came out, I bought it on my PlayStation 3, and I contacted PlayStation and I said, <laughs> the DLC does not work. I need, I want my money back. And they refunded me. But it, uh, then years later, I realized it was not their fault. So uh, <coughs> I was just. Whoever was on the other end of that phone was like, get good, scrub. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, obviously not. I, I literally was like, I just don't understand what I'm doing wrong. If you would have told me, right. I would have been like, hell yeah, brother. Thanks. And hung up. <laughs> Um, but no, I, I think that, I think you're right. I mean, and that just goes, it's a testament to how FromSoft writes their games. It's not like other games where they add DLC and they're like, Hey, like, check this out. This is new content. It's like, no, this content existed before. Mm -hmm. It just wasn't a hundred percent necessary to tell the story. And we felt it might've, it, it was better digested after you get this first. And I think that that only appreciates over time where now I think the Artorias, the Abyss DLC is part and parcel to what I would consider the Dark Souls experience where you're not likely to skip over it. Um, same with uh, Dark Souls 3 DLC. I think oh, that both so good. <laughs> the Ring City, I think, is such an incredible expansion and one of my favorite environments that they've built. Yes, I agree. Um, yeah, so I, I think because obviously like everything they do it's incredibly well thought out the dlc doesn't feel additional it just feels like um sort of deepening the lore that's already there yeah and like i said it never feels like an afterthought it feels like this was developed in Mm -hmm. tandem with the game but from a digestible story point we need you to swallow this first so you can appreciate this more. Right. I I think <coughs> Yeah. I I think that's exactly it. Well, Michael, did you like this game? Would you say? <laughs> nope, trash. Zero out of ten. Fuck this game. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I mean obviously it was you know <laughs> I don't know what to say. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I, without, you know, without belaboring the point, I mean, I have not had this much fun with a game. And a lot of people compare this game to Horizon. The two I've seen it compared to the most, and it's probably just because it happened on the tail end of it, mm. are Horizon, but more so Breath of the Wild, which is so yeah. weird to me. So fucking weird to me. Um, but I think it's because of the distancing the game did to the previous entries in its aforementioned franchise. Because if you look at how different Breath of the Wild was from its its predecessors and how this... Yeah, that's true. How different this was from its predecessors, I think that that's... there's And there's a lot of, obviously, parallels to, to go off on and how 
uh, Breath of the Wild did open world in such a unique way as well. But they're, I mean, and they are, they are similar in a lot of ways, but um, <clears throat> looking at it, like at realistically, just as a game as itself, not as a from software game or an open world game, just pure raw, how much fun I had with this. It literally has been since the last from software entry that I've had this much enjoyment out of a game like there was there's just very few complaints i mean the complaints we talked about today were literally nitpicking to find things to complain about agreed 100 agreed i would also say that that's just your opinion and there are other people out there who have a different opinion (laughs) because now michael it is time for us to talk about second opinions nice opinion just one tiny problem with it Yes. <laughs> I love this segment. <laughs> I love this segment too. And this one, I'll, I'll admit to you, was kind of difficult because it turns out that the critical reviews have been fucking glowing. Yeah, that's so, fair. <laughs> it was so right up, for, I think, like a week, the highest rated game of all time. So, Yeah, it, it was. So scale from zero to 100, can you guess, based on critical scores, uh, what what's the average what what's the score or critics you said for critics uh i think it went down since last i looked but i'm going to say 94 96 96 wow it didn't drop that far holy crap no it did not so i looking at 84 critical reviews the lowest that somebody gave it was an 80 wow i mean so i thought 80 is no, pretty fucking good. Like 80 is still incredible. And I think honestly, if you're a really harsh critic um, and you really didn't gel with this game for a lot of the reasons that we brought up an 80 might even be fair. You know, I don't think anybody's particularly trashing the game, um, but guess what? Somebody kind of giving it in, like lukewarm praise is not interesting to read. So here's what <laughs> I did. What I did is I went to, um, maybe the worst reviewer in the gaming community. And that would be the gaming community itself. Um, <laughs> I went to the I user I thought you were rev- going to say Kotaku or Polygon, but you know, that's <laughs> no, fine no, no, too. No. Not even them. <laughs> oh God, it gets worse than that? I, oh, went I forgot, to the user I'm reviews. trash and I'm part of that community. <laughs> I went straight to the user reviews. I sorted it but from most helpful to least helpful, and then I went to the back page. <laughs> oh, God. See, and see, it's funny because I don't know whether or not we're really... I feel like with this game, you really do have to scrape the barrel to find it, though. Like You do. <laughs> you do. So with that said, here's a couple of zero out of ten reviews of Elden Ring. What the fuck? Um, and I'd love to get... Because a lot of these, you know... I. This one in particular that I want to read, I think, starts off incredibly strong. Um, And I think whenever you're reviewing something, it's just a general, um, a a good habit to get into of of putting out your credentials right up front. You know, what's your experience with video games and stuff like that. So this guy at least gets that right. I've never played this game before, but... It's a complete ripoff of Dark Souls and is god-awful. Honestly, a game like this, or a game like Balan Wonderworld is better than this. 
The game graphics, and I want to stress here that graphics is spelled G-R-A-F-F-I-C-S, are god-awful. I mean, Flash Isaac looks better than, wrong than, this. Don't but this game. It's a complete and utter waste of money. Exclamation mark. So... <laughs> once you, uh... <laughs> Why don't you pull oh, your head out of your hands? <laughs> Insert emotional damage clip here. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, so um I I need to say one thing and then I'll then I'll comment on the rest. Okay. One, play the fucking game and don't talk to me until you have. Play 20 minutes of the game and don't talk to me until you have. Uh but part two. I mean, I, it's funny because if he had led with this game is a Dark Souls ripoff, mm-hmm. I at least would have went, well, he's just kind of, he's pretty misguided, not he's a <laughs> fucking ignoramus. Um, <coughs> but anyway, I digress. I like I, starting off any review of anything <laughs> with saying, I haven't played this. <laughs> I start every every movie review that I've done on Amazon. I start with I I've never watched this before. <laughs> I mean, it all it's like just enough of like ignorance to make me think it's actually real. Like that's mm. the sad thing is like at no point at the beginning and then the first couple sentences I was like. Ah, this might be like a, a satirical review, but then like the rest of it, I'm like, I think this guy's actually serious. <laughs> I just don't know what to say about it because like, obviously there's nothing here that I, I agree with in literally any way. Like obviously Elden Ring takes things from its previous pasts and inspirations, but what doesn't? whether it's mm-hmm. video games or you as a human being should be learning from your past mistakes and, uh, and be inspired by things to be able to, to move forward and, and create new. So I, I don't know this. <laughs> what, what I get is the this, sense that what is this guy's name again? I, I don't want to say it just in case people harass. No, 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 no. I want to know he has earned the right. <laughs> you don't have the right. All right. <laughs> the right for this review. Yeah, fair enough. Kerbo yeah. 4000. What is it? Kerbo 4000. Hey, Kerbo 4000? Fuck you. <laughs> right? <laughs> I, you're trash. You are subhuman trash. You know what? You are maidenless, my friend. <laughs> Get fucking wrecked. You're unfit Ooh. to be grafted. <laughs> uh, All right, I got... I got one more here. Give me something better than that, Max. Come on. <laughs> I know, but it, you can't read that. I it couldn't read that and let it die with me. That's Someone fair. else had to experience this. <laughs> That's fair. I mean, I, I am no stranger to the you will suffer with me. Uh, mm-hmm. so That's fair. All right. So this guy gave it a four out of ten. So a little bit more reasonable than the zero out of ten that we've seen. <laughs> Sounds like he at least played it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Honestly tried to like the game because I did like the atmosphere and general world, but it soon became more frustrating than enjoyable. The game is grindy. Repeat bosses, glitches out in frame rate during boss encounters, 
looking at you, Tree Sentinel. <laughs> and there is such a lack of any story, which is funny because they attach George R. R. Martin to this. Did he not bother to finish this story either? Like, really, what happened there? <laughs> this game is far from a 10 out of 10. <coughs> this Souls game is hard just for the sake of being hard, with little to no reward. Such trash, and I will never, all in caps, never, give into hype again. Okay, first of all, he said this Souls game, and that makes me think he played others? It seems that way, doesn't it? How could you play other Souls games and think this game is hard? So what I will say is that I found the first couple hours of this game to be really brutal. Mm -hmm. And I'll chalk that up to one, not really knowing, you know, how to progress and sort of wandering around and getting into fights. And two, I started off as a, a samurai as my starting class. So I started off with a katana, a, a dex build that I've never done in any kind of previous Souls game before. So mm -hmm. the by far, you know, more than other Souls games, I think the difficulty a curve for this game is upside down where it starts out. It's really, really difficult. And then as you learn all the systems that that level of difficulty is brought down significantly. So I'm guessing this person didn't make it particularly <laughs> far into the game. That would be my impression. <clears throat> is it fair to criticize George R. R. Martin for never finishing stories? Hell yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I, I got to give it to that guy. I mean, I agree. The, the two things I will say that I, I just vehemently disagree on is, again, you give me a lot of clues that you've played other Souls games. So you know that if you want the story, you got to play the game. Mm -hmm. So, and the second part is, you also know that if you're struggling with the difficulty of the game, then... This game is probably the least grindy game, Souls game I've ever played. I never once felt like I was grinding. I felt like I was exploring and playing the areas that the game had for me, and I was naturally leveling myself up because I was being rewarded for my exploration. I didn't I consider that grinding that. in any way. So I really think no. that's a frame of mind that you have to enter whenever you're playing this game is walk into these areas with the mindset of, you know, having fun if that that's a good way to put it or exploring or being interested in what you're finding and use the systems the game has for you so um in in a very like constructively critical way of this review um and I don't mean this in like a an asshole way it's just try not to be ignorant about the game like utilize the mechanics that it has and take the time to learn it. And I really think a lot of his concerns about this game would be satiated relatively easy. Yeah. I, I think that's a pretty good <coughs> clue that you've picked up on is when he says grindy, what I think the impression is, is that he's hit a boss or something and he's doing exactly what we talked about at the beginning of this episode, right? Where you're bouncing your head off of it. And rather than kind of understanding the general flow of this game as opposed to other Dark Souls games, he's seeing exploration as a means to an end of saying, mm -hmm. I'm going to go in this direction until I have enough souls to level up and beat this guy who's kicking my ass right now. Exactly. And you're exactly right. That's the wrong mindset for this game. You know, 
it, it's that thing we say all the time, you meet the game where it is. And this game doesn't want you to do that, to get hyper fixated on a path forward. It wants you to, you know, amble around a little bit. It wants you to explore and maybe even get a little bit lost or sidetracked from what the main goal is. You yeah, know. until you first get to the top of the Hallig tree and it's like, fuck you, there's one path and you have to get down it and it's impossible, so fuck you. So, anyway. <laughs> okay, and you're, are you wrong? No. <laughs> but at that point, you've seen most of the world, I'd imagine, right? I hope so, fuck. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Jesus Christ. <laughs> but yeah, that, that whole area just kind of holds you down and fucks you, doesn't it? It does. And it, just to get back to this review, honestly, like, and I don't mean this in like a pedantic uh, way, but I, I, I genuinely feel sorry for anyone that can't find the rhythm to this game. <laughs> there should be like an Elden Ring support hotline on number on the back mm. of like this, the game case, because like it really, I mean, I'll go as far as to say this is probably one of the best games in the last 10 years to come out. Yeah. I think and it's, I, think that's totally fair and it has already proven itself to be accessible beyond belief by so many different lovers of so many different genres of games and and it has something for literally everybody in it so it it hurts me to see someone who again clearly appears to have experience with these types of games not able to overcome the challenges that are presented by the world and the game mechanics itself and not be able to meet the game where it is to, to really enjoy and experience it. So again, I'd again, not in like a uh, pedantic asshole kind of way. I do genuinely feel sorry for this guy not being able to get, to get that enjoyment. That, that really sucks. Yeah. So it also it, fuck it, you. It, Cause that's a terrible review. So, <laughs> Well, I think it's difficult too, right? Because I think FromSoft has put a lot of love into this game in giving you so many options. The way that FromSoft has kind of stepped around this question of like, do their games need an easy mode? Is giving you so many tools to mitigate that difficulty. You know, summoning other people is an easy mode. Using magic is an easy mode. There are ways to get through the game um, that are with built into the mechanics rather than just like this sliding scale of, you know, how hard do I want the enemies to hit me? Mm -hmm. I will say, um, if you're somebody who loves these games and, you know, has a deep appreciation and maybe you've been playing them for a long time. Um, and you're thinking about telling somebody that they didn't really beat the game because they took advantage of those tools. Fucking stop doing that. I agree. This is, oh my gosh. This is why when you do gatekeepy shit like that, so many people call for an easy mode because they're sick of being told by assholes like you that they're, you know, somehow cheating by using the tools that the game gave you. You know, if you need to use like the, the mimic tier to get through a boss, fucking do it. Seriously. That's why it's there. If you need to summon other people, go for it. Yeah, there's imagine, no right way to play these games. Imagine every, paying sixty dollars for a game and then allowing someone else to tell you how you can and can't play it. Yeah, like <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's it's ridiculous. I, I agree, and like being part of like the Dark Souls community, like official quote unquote Dark Souls community on Facebook, 
where there's mm. like 70,000 people there and that with like probably 1500 posts a day and yeah. arguably that people bitch about your pvps and people bitching about whether you know certain builds are trash oh you're using the rivers of blood and the the blade mm-hmm. of the moon or whatever blah 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 and that's trash that's easy mode and it's like if if you want these games to be successful like outside the bounds of whether you think other people just because you got rocked by someone in PVP that was had those things doesn't mean you need to go and bitch about it. But even right. outside of that, let people experience the game and have fun with it because that ultimately is going to expand the community. It's going to bring more people to the game. It's going to, and obviously you love this game. If you're fighting that hard for it, let mm. it thrive and let it flourish. Yeah. Stop gatekeeping souls games. <laughs> And it's I, I want to. I want to talk about one thing that you and I had talked about on a on Gurus whenever we were together, whenever we were discussing the easy mode thing. Mm-hmm. I think it fits really perfectly right here in the gatekeeping conversation. <clears throat> and I'm going to ask you the question because I I love the way that you phrase it, so I'll just kind of let you re rephrase it. Um, whenever someone who plays souls games whenever you're like, Oh, I had this, this experience. and I really had struggled with this. And I just, I I give up whenever someone tells you to get good. Mm-hmm. It is not, we're not gatekeeping dark souls. What, what does that mean to you? Whenever you tell someone to get good, I think get good is kind of shorthand for like, there is such a, a skill gap between when you're starting out in this game and where you will eventually get to, um, there's no real concrete advice you can give to somebody other than to keep interacting with a game, to keep going. Um, I uh, The difficult thing is that Get Good also is definitely used to gatekeep people. <laughs> no, it, it it is. But like arguably, I think that as the Souls community as a whole... Whenever mm-hmm. they the, they're like get good scrub or something like that, it's obviously it can be used, and I think it, but I think it's taken more offensively than it's ever really meant, because the Dark Souls community isn't trying to gatekeep you by saying you're trash and you're never going to overcome this. The Dark Souls community is saying the joy of these games come it thrives in overcoming and meeting the game where it is and beating it at the difficulty and with the skills that you have learned here, you need to Mm -hmm. get good and overcome that. And whenever you do that, you have the ability at that point to say, I did this. It doesn't matter if you summon someone. It doesn't matter if you fucking used your mimic tier. It doesn't matter. You did it. And that's what get good really means. It means... You met the game where it is, and you fucking got good. Good for you. Every one of the bosses in any of these games, no, you know, no matter what, are going to throw loads and loads of bullshit at you. You throw whatever bullshit you need back. Fact. <laughs> that's a that's a great that's a great like summation point. <laughs> Just. <laughs> You know what? <laughs> Fuck you. Not even the bosses. Everything you encounter will throw yeah. literally everything. You throw it all back. Yeah, that's exactly it. But um, yeah. I yeah, I really like this episode because you know it it really is out of the norm and tradition for the other episodes. And uh, like I said, it's kind of out of order from you know where the other ones are. For sure. Um, 
and I think there's been a few things that we've <laughs> we've referenced that we've talked about uh, that will <laughs> will come in the future, uh, mm. even. So just <laughs> just be prepared for that. Um, but um, the reason I bring that up is because I, I like uh, the change in variety and the change of pace, and I I arguably think that anyone who would go out there and would find this episode could enjoy this episode wholeheartedly um, whether or not they've played through Elden Ring and really can take away something for it. I don't think we've spoiled really anything other than maybe a few character names. Um, yeah, that's true. <laughs> what do you, it was a little bit of a looser structure on this one. And I think that was important, you know, cause we could go down the rabbit hole talking about little nitty dirty details, but it, you know, I'm, really curious if you're listening to this episode and maybe you're going through Elden Ring for the first time, maybe it's your first Souls game, you know, um, Discord's open. I'd, I'd really like to hear what other people are taking away from this game at this point, um, especially because it is so new and it is kind of a landmark moment for, for video. I mean, game of the year has got to be wrapped up, right? I don't, this point. I really don't even think it's a question. <laughs> already like I, I can't think of a single game sounds like you haven't played kirby in the forgotten land yet <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're right i probably won't either so <laughs> thanks nintendo for that quote-unquote gem um no uh i i like that you bring that up because i think that with elden ring there's such a just the culture for gaming right now is so unique in the way that there's like three different ways to experience elden ring there's mm. a, as a first time souls player there's well four different ways a first time souls player a first or a veteran quote unquote souls player there are the people who have played other souls games that are watching people play elden ring and then there's people who have not played any souls games or experienced any souls content who are imbibing this via Twitch or some other yeah. streaming platform or YouTube. So I'm curious, like I said, even with, with the discord or Facebook or anything for those people, cause I know I have friends out there uh, like mega, for instance, doesn't play souls games, anything like that. Um, but has watched probably countless hours of me and my friends play this game. So like, mm -hmm. even from that perspective, like how are you ingesting this game? Like, is it, does it seem interesting to you? How, what's the, like your threshold for to uh, tolerance on this game? Right. Um, with the limited structure and view you have to it. So I, I like that there's just multiple ways to look at this. So I'll be yeah. curious to talk about all of them. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Any closing thoughts here, Michael? Um, on Elden Ring or just as a whole? Let's say as a whole. Um, yes. Um, speak just because we were just talking about the discord. Um, we've had one episode out and our discord is like bustling with like the 20 <laughs> There's or a so lot of activity that are, that are in there. And it's just really cool. Cause like people are sharing like video games that they're buying and people are, you know, talking about, uh, you know, a lot of Metroid conversation because that was our uh, the only episode that's been out up to this point. But um, a lot of, you know, podcast discussion, a lot of just just day to day conversation, making fun of people that, you know, and don't know and all that kind of just typical discord locker room talk. Um, <laughs> so the um, I would invite you listener to click the link below and join. If you don't know what discord is, it's a free conversation just imagine 
uh, AIM, if you're old enough to remember that, just an all self-contained application uh, on, your, on your phone. If you're not, it's a chat system. So honestly, if you're if you're sub 20, 28, 27 years old and you don't know what Discord is, you know, there's probably bigger issues there. <laughs> so um, but I, I've had such a blast recording not only this episode, but like every episode that we've done and just getting this show ready and gearing myself up for episodes like mentally um, mm-hmm. because it just it just allows me to just I know Daniel hates this, but just gush <laughs> about, about the episode. You leaned episodes. into the mic for that one too. <laughs> gush. Gush. <laughs> there you go, Daniel. That's for you. Uh, see, yeah. we cater to our audience here at Post Game <laughs> Content. Um, but no, it's it's been great. And, you know, the reception to the show right off the bat was uh, pretty fantastic. So um, right now it's probably going to be over by the time this episode launches. Um, but this is something I want to do more of. So just keep an eye out on it. If you're a listener, um, I'm doing, or we're doing a giveaway for a copy of Metroid dread. And there will likely be ones in the future to where if you listen to the episode, let us know your favorite thing, like, and share social media posts, things of that nature. Um, and be active in the discord. We'll be giving away copies of like video games, steam keys, all that kind of stuff. Uh, right now we're doing, uh, something in the discord. If you, leave a review for the podcast um, and then post uh, post evidence of your review of the show, whether it be on Facebook or whether it be on like Apple podcast. Um, we are doing, not only do you get 500 of our PG uh, or PCG coins or PGC coins for our server, which will be used at a later date for our uh, up and coming economy system and our discord server. But also uh, you'll get a random steam key. So if you play on PC, that'll be really cool and useful for you. So uh, a lot of cool stuff that we're doing and a lot of Discord is going to be like our primary avenue. So and if you don't use that, follow us on Facebook. A lot of that will, will show up there, too. We also have a Twitter account. We do. Um, so use that if you use Twitter. I personally have like never used Twitter ever. So <laughs> um, there's that, too. Um so don't expect much. I, I'm letting Max run the Twitter. I'll just say, I'll say that. Um, it's mostly just going to be porn gifts. So you know, come on by, check that out. Hell yeah! No one. <laughs> also, we'll just retweet everything they make a tarnished guy posts. So, now <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, so that just all humor aside, I I have had a lot of fun with like new ideas for the show and. Um, I would love to hear more other ideas that you guys have and also just the interaction, especially with this episode. I mean, Max and I Mm -hmm. are, we literally sidelined our mainline content to one, talk about Elden Ring and to put Elden Ring episode out before anything else because of how excited we are to see and hear the reception uh, to this. Absolutely. So very excited and just let us know. That would be my quote unquote last closing comment. Join the Discord and talk to us, you pleb. Definitely. And for this episode, and this is something that I want want to do going forward, um, a couple of the video essays and articles that I mentioned in this uh, in this episode, I'll I'll put links to them. Um, so if you like Dark Souls content, you know there's a thousand great creators out there. If you've seen all that shit and you're still like, I really want more Dark Souls content, 
I would consider reading Berserk. It's the manga that basically inspired the entire game series and is worth checking out. Um, with that being said, Michael, you know what I'm going to ask. Please hit us with that classic, classic post-game content sign-off. Awesome. <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs>